0: If I were starting a movement, I would not do it the way Jesus did it. We've been going through our series the last couple weeks called Together, as some of you know. And we've been talking about what it means to be a part of the church as a whole, and then specifically what it means to be a part of Plainfield Christian Church. And last week we talked about Together We Worship. Today we're talking about Together We Follow. And then in the weeks to come, we'll talk about how together we're shaped, and we serve, and we multiply. But today... We're talking about how together we follow Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 9. And here in Luke chapter 9, when we meet Jesus, he's on a journey. He's on his way ultimately to Jerusalem where he will die. And today we're going to see what it takes to follow Jesus on this journey, to be a part of his movement. But if I were starting a movement, I would not do it the way Jesus did it. I mean, just look at what Jesus says here. Luke chapter nine, verses 22 through 25. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Nobody wants to die on a cross. I mean, if Jesus were a preacher in America today, I'm not sure his church would grow very fast. Throughout his ministry, people come up to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, I want to join you. Can I come? And he says, Eh, not yet. Or, uh, you better think twice. I'm not sure you fully understand what you're getting into. Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, Jesus must not have taken our church growth seminars and our leadership classes. Maybe we could show Jesus a thing or two about how to start a movement. Right before this happens, right before our scene right here in Luke, Luke chapter 9, 5,000 men plus their families have come to listen to Jesus teach all day long. Okay. Not bad, Jesus. Not bad attendance for launch week. Pretty good. That's a good start. But the people get hungry. They've been there all day. They didn't pack any food. And so Jesus, he takes these five little crackers and two pickled sardines, and he uses them to feed the whole lot of them. 5,000 men plus their families. Okay, Jesus, now I'm impressed. Well done. And so these people, they just can't get enough of Jesus. So by the time that Jesus says, okay, if anybody wants to be my disciple, everybody out there is about to raise their hands and say, oh, yeah, yeah, pick me, Jesus, pick me. They're grinning from ear to ear. And so when Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, the cross gets in the way. And I imagine about that time, those same men in the crowd started whispering to their wives, you know, honey, it's getting late. We probably better head home (laughs) because nobody wants to die on a cross. You know, when politicians run for office, they're full of promises Abe Lincoln promised not to abolish slavery. FDR promised to balance the budget. Johnson promised not to send American troops to Vietnam. Bush promised not to raise taxes. Clinton promised. Obama promised. Trump promised, and so on and so forth. Because when you're campaigning, you have to draw people in. You have to make promises and get them excited and say, hey, if you join my movement, if you follow me, then everything will be okay. Well, Jesus is a terrible campaigner. Because Jesus says, hey, I'm just going to tell you up front that none of this great stuff is going to happen to you. In fact, if you follow me, you're probably going to end up looking a whole lot like me. Well, is Jesus trying to talk us out of following him? (laughs) Well, maybe. Because before you follow Jesus, he wants to know. Are you all in? Because Jesus is serious, and he doesn't want you to follow him unless you're serious too. I mean, oh, sure, lots of people loved Jesus, But lots of people hated him too. Because Jesus called them to step out of the realm where they were in charge and into the realm where Jesus was king. They had to leave their kingdom and step into his kingdom. Because following Jesus means leaving behind a kingdom. And I wonder sometimes if we've made it a little too easy to follow Jesus. We say, oh, bow your head, say a little prayer. Here's your ticket to heaven. Now go do whatever you want Monday through Saturday. And yet... When a rich young man, a lot like me, comes up to Jesus and asks what he has to do, Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Ouch. Anybody else wrestle with this? Am I the only one in here? Sometimes Jesus' commands are just hard. Sometimes his words are just sharp. I mean, Jesus hacked some people off. Lots of people ditched him in his movement because what Jesus said was just too crazy. That's just too difficult. And if you've never felt that, then maybe your Jesus is a little too friendly. Maybe you're not taking Jesus quite seriously enough. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've known Jesus just about as long as you can remember, but maybe you haven't fully surrendered to him yet. You haven't cashed it all in and dove in headfirst to follow him. Maybe you've still held a little back, taken a little dose of Jesus here and there, and then you can still live however you want, that nice, clean, tidy Christian life. When maybe Jesus is calling you deeper. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in Jesus says here that there are two things you have to do to follow him first deny yourself secondly pick up your cross You guys remember how later on when jesus got arrested right before he went to die peter denied him one of his best friends And he said under pressure. He said that he wasn't even one of jesus's disciples. He said I don't know the man that you're talking about Now that's denial So if we are to deny ourselves We are to look in the mirror and say i'm not with him That's not who I follow. He's not who I stand for anymore. And that's tough. Deny yourself and take up your cross. There's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who would go on to be killed for his faith in the Holocaust. And he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You see, the cross was a symbol of suffering and shame. It's as if Jesus said, Hey, if you want to tag along with me, hop up into the electric chair every day. Then you can come. What are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, the people listening to this, they knew what this meant. They'd seen the convicted criminals carrying the horizontal beams to the place of execution as Jesus himself would later do. They'd seen the rotting corpses of the captured rebels hung high on crosses lining the roads for all to see. They knew what a cross was. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ does not just save you, it also calls you. It calls you to come and die, to deny yourself every single day, to give your life for Jesus. And although there are thousands of our brothers and sisters around the world who will die for their faith as martyrs, most of us aren't going to go out for Jesus in a violent blaze of glory. Uh, one old preacher says we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table here's my life Lord I'm giving it all but the reality is for most of us that he sends us to the bank and he has us cash in that thousand dollars for quarters And then we go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of telling him to get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a a cup of water to a shaky old man. Do another load of laundry even though it's a thankless job. Choose to forgive instead of holding on to that grudge any longer. Choose not to engage in the corruption at work even if everybody else is. Usually giving your life for Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easier to go out in a flash of glory. It's hard to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. You see, following Jesus means taking up a cross and leaving behind a kingdom, and being in his kingdom means denying yourself. And that is a narrow road to walk because it's not just a one-time act. It's every single day. Every day, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's a lot to sign up for. So before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? Let's take a look at an incident a little later in Luke 9 and see what it means to go all in following Jesus. Verses 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, uh, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God still another said i will follow you lord but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family jesus replied no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of god so this first guy comes up to jesus and says hey hey can i come i'll go with you uh, wherever jesus he, uh, no matter what can you I, I, i've counted the cost you can count me in jesus and jesus basically says whoa 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 look are you sure Even animals have a place to stay, but I don't have that luxury following me might mean roughing it Are you sure you're ready to leave behind your creature comforts? Are you all in? Following jesus means leaving behind a comfortable life I'm sure many of you have heard of the health and wealth gospel There are a lot of preachers and churches who will tell you that god's main goal for you is for you to be happy For you to be rich. That if you just have enough faith, then following Jesus is going to make you healthy and wealthy. The truth is, though, that Jesus cares a lot more about your priorities than your prosperity. I mean, oh sure, God does love to bless his children. But ultimately, God is a lot more concerned about whether or not you are committed to him than he is about your fleeting material well-being. After all, Jesus just said, what good does it do for us to get rich, to gain the whole world, if we lose sight of God and lose ourselves in the process? To follow Jesus is to take up your cross and lay down your life, forsaking everything else that comes in the way. And that might mean saying no to earthly pleasures and possessions. And to the world around us, that's going to seem pretty foolish. I mean, giving stuff away and not chasing after money and houses and cars and clothes and stuff and but we know that it's actually wise because selling your soul for the pleasures of the world is a bad investment. One missionary named Jim Elliott, he left behind the comforts of home a long time ago and he moved to South America to to take the gospel to these tribes in the jungle. And he ended up being killed for it. And Jim Elliott said this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Hear that one more time. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. But we live in a world that is obsessed with stuff, the trappings of life. When Queen Elizabeth II traveled to America, she brought with her 4,000 pounds of luggage. She brought two outfits for every occasion, and just in case somebody died, she brought a whole other outfit just for mourning. She bought 40 pints of plasma and white kid leather toilet seat covers. White kid leather toilet seat covers. That's what I call a royal throne. (laughs) She brought her own hairdresser, two valets, and a whole host of other attendants. In fact, a brief visit of royalty to a foreign country can easily cost $20 million. Wow. Wow. And yet when King Jesus came to earth, he came as a humble baby, born with the animals, grew up in poverty, never had a house or a wife or savings or a place to call home. And Jesus offers us no guarantees of material comfort. He has no bargains to offer. He lets us know up front, hey, following me might mean less money. It might mean smaller houses, older cars, less retirement savings, less vacation, less eating out. Following me means leaving behind a comfortable life. So before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? With this second guy, Jesus actually goes up to him and he says, hey, follow me. But this guy says, well, uh, first let me bury my dad. Then I'll follow you. To which Jesus responds, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoa. (laughs) Did Jesus seriously just tell somebody to skip his own dad's funeral and let somebody else take care of it? What in the world is going on here? Well, there are a few options. Option number one, maybe this guy's dad literally did just die. But if that's the case, why is he out talking to Jesus? They would need to bury him quickly. They didn't have modern embalming. Uh, Option number two, maybe this guy's dad had died a little bit ago, and he's just asking to hang around and grieve for a few months, and then he'll follow Jesus. Well, option number three, maybe this guy's dad died a while ago, and he's asking to wait until the body decomposes so he can move the bones into a bone box. That was a Jewish tradition. Or option number four, maybe this guy's dad is actually still alive and he's saying, I know my dad wouldn't be too happy if I ran off following Jesus. So I'll wait till dad's out of the picture, then I'll come. Or maybe he's saying, well, let me wait till my dad kicks the bucket so I can get my inheritance and then I'll be financially secure enough to follow you, Jesus. Regardless, we don't know the specific scenario, but we can't miss the sharpness of Jesus's words because everybody who heard this would have said, ooh, ouch, Jesus is calling this man higher and challenging his loyalty and saying, no, now is the time. Where does your real allegiance lie? Because following Jesus means leaving behind a misplaced allegiance. Jesus basically says, no, you're worried about planning somebody else's funeral when you should be planning your own. Take up your cross and follow me. Let the world, the spiritually dead, take care of those mundane things. We have kingdom work to do. Our business is life, not death. First things first. The kingdom of God demands our total allegiance, our supreme loyalty, our utmost commitment. Jesus tells us that even our highest commitment to our families should come in second place to our commitment to the kingdom of God. Jesus would say later in Luke chapter 14 verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, I love my family, okay? I have the best wife in the world. I have a beautiful baby boy on the way, and I already love him so much. I have great parents, great siblings, great in-laws. But no matter how much I love them, my love for them should look like hatred compared to my love for Jesus, You know, Rebecca and I left our families eight hours west of here and came out here. And we did that because we believe in following Jesus first. Jesus says in Mark 10, 29, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. We left one family, but we got a whole nother one. You guys are our family, and that's a pretty good reward. You know, Rebecca and I make this practice sometimes of saying to each other, you know, I love you so much, babe. But I love Jesus a lot more than I love you. And ironically, that's actually the best thing for our families when we love Jesus first. So does Jesus have your total allegiance? Or would you still put your family first? Would you put work first? Would you even put our country first? It takes a lot of guts to leave behind your previous priorities and to give Jesus your allegiance. There's a great movie that came out a few years ago called We Bought a Zoo. And in this movie, Matt Damon plays the role of this writer who's wrestling with life as a single father and he decides to purchase and rescue a failing zoo. And in one beautiful scene in the movie, Matt Damon's character is sitting down and he's talking with his kids about the first time he met their mother. And he just walked into a diner and there she was, a random person, and he was just struck by how beautiful he was. So he mustered up all of his boldness and asked if he could sit down with her. And it was that one moment of bravery that altered the course of the rest of his life. And in this scene, Matt Damon's character utters an unforgettable line. He says, Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Anybody who's ever asked the girl out knows that's true. <laughs> the signers of the Declaration of Independence in 1776 stood over that document, pens in hand, knowing what was at stake. They were risking their livelihoods, they were risking their families, their homes, their own lives, and yet in 20 seconds of insane courage, they put their names on that document transferring their allegiance to this new nation. They were all in, but it ended up coming at a cost. Five of the signers were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve signers had their homes ransacked and burnt. Two had their sons captured in the war. Two more had their sons killed in the war. Nine of the signers themselves fought and died. By putting their names on that piece of paper, they transferred total allegiance. They pledged their whole lives to this infant nation in 20 seconds of insane courage. And Jesus is calling you to muster up your insane courage and transfer your allegiance to him, leaving it all behind and betting the farm on him. You know, early in his ministry, Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he comes across these two fiery brothers, James and John. They're fishermen out mending their nets, and Jesus says, Hey, come follow me. And in 20 seconds of insane courage, they drop their nets and they follow him. Mark 1:19 even says that they left their father in the boat. Don't be held back by misplaced allegiance. Jesus wants you to be all in. In fact, those same brothers, James and John, would team up with 12 other guys to become the 12 disciples and they left careers and homes and families and they were all in for Jesus, even to the point of death. James was executed with a sword, and according to tradition, Matthew was killed in Ethiopia with a sword. Mark was dragged by horses in Egypt until he was dead. Luke was hanged to death in Greece. James, the brother of Jesus, was thrown off the temple and beheaded. Philip was crucified. Thomas was speared on the southern shores of India. Jude was shot with arrows. Andrew was beaten and crucified and preached from the cross until his last breath. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Barnabas was stoned. John died in exile. Peter was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus did, and the only way they could get the Apostle Paul to stop preaching was to cut off his head. So, are you all in for Jesus? Does he have your total allegiance? Before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? Back in Luke chapter 9, here, the third guy pipes up and he says, I'll follow you, Jesus. Just let me go home and say goodbye to my family, real quick. But Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's saying, don't let your heart be divided or distracted. Keep your eyes on the prize. Before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? I grew up working on a farm and driving a tractor down the field, cultivating corner beans. You had a very slim margin for error. So if I got distracted by messing with the radio or fiddling with all the buttons and the levers next to me, or even turning around to make sure everything was okay in the cultivator behind me, it wasn't unusual for the tractor to just go off to the side one little bit and I could wipe out 12 rows of corn just like that. It took unwavering focus. I had to fix my eyes on a point right in front of me and aim for that and not deviate. And following Jesus takes unwavering focus. Following Jesus means leaving behind a divided heart, and too many of our hearts are divided and distracted. You know, a survey done by Microsoft reveals just how bad our distracted world is getting. In the year 2000, the average attention span was 12 seconds, but now people tend to lose concentration actually after only eight seconds, which means that some of you are tuning me out right now. (laughs) Scientists actually think that a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. So congratulations, you have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. (laughs) Jesus is saying here, don't lose focus. Don't get distracted from the main thing. Don't let your heart be divided by lesser things. Look at me. Follow me. Back in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 19, we see a divided heart. And a lack of focus. There's a guy named Lot and his family. And they're living in a town called Sodom. It's a horrible place. In fact Sodom was so sinful that God decides to destroy it. But he wants to spare Lot and his family. He's merciful. And so uh, God tells him. Hey get out of the city. But don't even look back. Don't even look back at the town as you're going. Oh but Lot and his family. They dilly dally. They waver. They protest. In fact it actually says the angels literally have to drag Lot and his family out of the town. Lot's wife is lagging behind with a divided heart and she looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt don't be held back by a divided heart no man can serve two masters you can't serve money and God sex and God power and God popularity and God achievement and God choose this day whom you will serve because dual devotion a divided heart is incompatible with the kingdom mentality and is devastating for kingdom work Before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? The great Christian theologian, Augustine, was once a pagan. He was living in sin, but he was convicted uh, by Christian preaching one day as he was living with his mistress. And so he prayed, Lord, make me good. But just not yet. Anybody else been there? I have. We have divided hearts. We're double-minded. We waver. But Jesus is calling us to be all in. A century ago, there were some brave people who became known as one-way missionaries. They bought one-way tickets to the mission field, and instead of packing their belongings in suitcases, they packed their few earthly possessions into coffins. And as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to the people they loved with undivided hearts, knowing that they would never return home. When did we start believing that Jesus was calling us to safe places to do easy things? When did we start believing that faithfulness was just maintaining the status quo and playing it safe and holding down the fort? Jesus is calling you to submit your entire heart to his lordship and to buckle up for what comes next. So are you all in? February 19th, 1519, the Spanish explorer Cortez set sail for Mexico. He had 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. Now, upon arrival, the indigenous population of Mexico was around 5 million. In other words, Cortez and his little army were outnumbered 7,540 to 1. Two previous expeditions had failed to even establish a, a settlement in the New World, and yet Cortez and his little band went on to conquer much of Mexico. Now, understand I'm not condoning the ethics of European colonization of third world countries here, okay? Okay. But there's no denying that Cortez was wildly successful. Why? Because he made sure that his men did not suffer from divided hearts. When Cortez and his small army landed in 20 seconds of insane courage, he gave an order to burn the ships. And as the crew watched their ships burn and sink, they knew their ticket home was gone. Their mission was now all or nothing. Retreat was not an option. There was no plan B. They were all in. In 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a prophet named Elijah, and he goes to call this guy named Elisha to follow him and become a prophet also. And Elijah finds Elisha plowing in a field with his oxen. And so when Elijah calls him, he lets Elisha first go back and say goodbye to his family. But then in 20 seconds of insane courage, Elisha kills his oxen and burns his plow. Retreat was not an option. His heart was undivided. There was no plan B. He was all in. And Jesus is demanding even more radical separation and commitment here. No, don't go say goodbye, he says. Come follow me. So are you following Jesus with an undivided heart? Or are you still holding a little back, a safety net maybe? Are you trusting your financial cushion or your retirement account or your career? Or are you trusting Jesus? Don't be held back by a divided heart. Are you all in? I've invited my friend Casey up to the stage here to to help us out with this. Now, Casey, he's a new Christian. He got baptized a few weeks ago, and Casey has gone absolutely all in following Jesus. He's doing great. But for a lot of us, we're not quite all in. A lot of us say, oh, Lord, I want to follow you, but I like my security blanket. I like my comfort still, Lord. I'm not ready to give it all up, Lord. I, I want to do what's safe. I'm not quite ready to get out of my comfort zone. Oh, Lord, I want to follow you, but can I do it when football season is over? I've got a lot of stuff going on right now. Maybe I'll do it when the kids get out of college. Lord, I want to follow you, but I still like taking it easy. I'm not ready to work hard and change all that yet. I don't want to get my hands dirty. He likes those chips. Lord, Lord, I want to follow you, but man, money's tight right now. I'll start doing that later. Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm not quite ready to manage my finances the way you say I should. Lord, I want to follow you, but you don't understand how tight my schedule is right now. I don't have the time to do that. Maybe later things will slow down. Lord, I want to follow you, but just not yet. Lord, I want to follow you, but I'd like to knock some stuff off my bucket list first, maybe do a little traveling, then I can settle down. I'm not quite ready for that yet. Lord, I want to follow you, but I've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got a lot of other activities I've involved in, and and those kind of take priority right right now but I promise later Lord I want to follow you but you don't understand how mad she makes me I'm not quite ready to forgive yet Lord I kind of want to fight back (laughs) Lord I want to follow you but I don't think you understand how following those commands is going to make me look super uncool to my friends like nobody else does that Lord Lord I want to follow you but I've got a lot of stuff going on at work right now I, I want to get ahead in my career it's really important to me but later on I'll get to the point where I can slow down Lord I'll follow you later Okay, good job. Uh, Lord, I'll follow you later. Lord, Lord, I want to follow you, but I'd still rather sleep in or dink around on my phone than spend time in your word and come to church and be with your people. Lord, I want to follow you, but man, I've got a lot of other kind of distractions right now. Look how cool this is, Lord. I don't have time to do that right now. Lord, I want to follow you, but I still like sleeping with her, and I'm not quite ready to give that up yet. Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm, I'm going to manage my family and do what with my kids what I want to do, and then maybe I can do it. Lord, not yet. I'm going to hold a little bit back. Casey, how are you doing over there? That's not enough. That's not enough. He's bucking for trouble. Look at this. You're looking a little weighed down. You think you could run a race like that? Yeah, probably not. Casey, are, you look a little bit uh, distracted, maybe, you think? Are you, are you all in, Casey? I don't know. I don't know. The writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I think he should drop it. What do you think? (laughs) Before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? You can go ahead and go down, Casey. Thank you. (laughs) Are you all in? Uh, Hey, Casey, you sure you're all in? Casey. (laughs) Christ is calling us to follow him. And he doesn't just want some of our hearts. He doesn't just want some of our time, some of our money, some of our relationships, some of our work. He wants all of it. He wants us all in and past the point of no return. And some of you are still holding back. And it is my prayer that you will throw everything you have to him today. So what does that look like for you? Maybe for some of you, it does mean leaving your home. Maybe it means he's calling you to go back to school or to a new career or away from your family or to the mission field or the ministry. Uh, Maybe he's calling you like he called Carol Fields. She's a member here in her 70s. At that point in life, a lot of people are kicking back and relaxing, but she's one of the first people here and one of the last to leave, teaching not just one but two kids' classes and making the Bible come to life with engaging stories and crafts. Maybe God's calling you like he called Tim and Anna Sparks and Kevin and Janet Burke. They raised their kids, okay? They got done with the little kid phase, But then God called them to restart their families and adopt more kids. And both of these couples are in their 50s and they've adopted multiple children from China to show them God's love. Maybe God's calling you like he called Steve and Diana White. Steve has been in ministry here for a long time. He has years and years and years and years and years and years years of (laughs) experience. (laughs) so many years (laughs) it'd be easy for Steve to kick back and relax at this point but he's one of the hardest working people I know and he's giving every breath that he has for the kingdom of God to serve and to lead all of us Maybe God is calling you like he's called Mark and Bobby Sweeney. They've been high school D group leaders here for years, meeting weekend and week out and having kids in their home and going on trips. Maybe God's calling you like he called Marlene Walters, who spends her retirement years in an unconventional way. She volunteers in our office doing financial work, so much stuff. She volunteers at Active Grace on her other days, and then she volunteers with the Golden Glows for her other time. I don't know what God is calling you to, but he's calling you to something. And whatever it is, I promise that he wants to push you and grow you and that you will look different than the world around you. He's calling you to leave behind a comfortable life, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross, and to follow him. And the beautiful promise of this is that when we do lose our life for him is when we actually find our life. That we change. And the world around us changed. And every one of those people I just mentioned, I guarantee that if you go ask them, they'd tell you that they found more satisfaction, more joy, more freedom, more peace, more purpose, more fulfillment when they picked up their cross than when they just left it on the ground and were living for themselves. Church, can you imagine if we did this together? If together we followed, together we were a church that was all in the difference we could make, the marriages that would be mended, the children that would be taught, the poor that would be fed, the good news that would be spread, not just to Hendricks County, but to the whole country and around the world, church, we could do this. You know, if I was starting a movement, I wouldn't do it the way Jesus did it. But I'm sure glad he did. Because nobody wants to die on a cross. And yet he did for us that we might live a new life and follow him on the path of self-denial and he's calling you, but before you follow Jesus, he wants to know, are you all in? King Jesus, we come before you today and we offer you everything that we have and if in any of our hearts there's anything we're holding back, I ask you to reveal it to all of us and that we would have the courage to follow you with everything that you are everything that we are because you're worth it and you deserve it. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.